1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. If you're using one of these back black table Bibles, uh, it's on page 1146. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And now flip over a few pages to chapter 12. We'll read the first 11 verses of that chapter. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Apologise ahead of time that uh, I've just choked up with a cold this morning, but we'll need the spirit. The spirit is good and God is good to get us through. I want us to focus our thoughts on God the spirit. I once heard of a man who said that basically he could get his head around God the father. 
That, that was manageable. And he, he could accept God the Son because if there's a Father, there's a Son. But the Holy Spirit was just an utter mystery to him. He said he's like a grey oblong blur. He just couldn't make, he just couldn't get his head around, couldn't relate to the Spirit. And the great Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper famously said, the Holy Spirit leaves no footprints in the sand. There's something about the ministry of God's Spirit that is different from anything else that we experience in life because we can't see him. Jesus came amongst us and we could see him. We, we, we've, we've been given visions of the ancient of days described in the Bible, but, but the Spirit is described like the wind. You cannot see the wind. You do not know where it blows from or where it blows to. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can see the effects of the Spirit, but you can't actually behold the Spirit. But therein lies something very precious to us. We may not be able to behold the Spirit, but the Spirit enables us to behold Christ. And I want us to, to think about, you know, there's many things we can't cover today, but I want to focus on something that's really central and core to the work of the Spirit and then tease that out in a few areas. And that thing that is very central is our union with Christ. If you remember nothing else from today, one of the primary roles of the Spirit is to unite us with Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Spirit that makes the things of Jesus and his gospel real and living and powerful in us. It's the work of the Spirit to take the realities of where Jesus is in heaven and make them sing in our hearts as a joyful thing and a living hope for us too. So I want to begin by posing this question to you. Think about this. Why is it wrong for a Christian to be sexually immoral? You say because it's sinful. But why is it sinful to be sexually immoral? You say because God said not to have sex outside of marriage. But why doesn't God want us to have sex outside of marriage? Why has God said these things? Let's look how Paul explains this to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6. He argues on the basis that it's the Spirit who dwells in us, who sets us apart and makes us God's temple, that therefore we should not be sexually immoral. The Spirit unites us with Christ. Look at uh, verse 13. You say food for the stomach, the stomach for food. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So our bodies are intended for Christ. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. We know in Romans 1, Jesus was raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness, by the Holy Spirit. 
So by his power, God, who gave Jesus a body by the Spirit, raised Jesus from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, and unites us with that risen body of Christ by that same Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For he said the two will become one, so one flesh. So he goes back to Genesis. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. It's the work of the Spirit to make us one with Christ, to bring Jesus to us and make him alive so that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and then to unite us with Christ and seat us with him in the heavenly places so we are in Christ. It's the indwelling work of the Spirit that makes the truth of the gospel a living life to us. In other words, what the Spirit does is take the life that's in Jesus and distributes it to us. So Jesus' life, the life of the Lord, comes into us by the Spirit. And he's saying, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So his whole line of reasoning about the reason to avoid sexual immorality is because we have been set apart in an exclusive relationship with Jesus by the Spirit. It would be, it's just like it's adultery to be sexually immoral uh, and unfaithful to your wife, to be, to, to allow our bodies to be used for any other purpose other than the purposes of Jesus is to be idolatrous and spiritually adulterous to Jesus because we've been set apart by the Spirit into a one flesh and one spirit relationship with him. So we're under new management. We've been united with Christ. We've been indwelt by the Spirit. And so since we're united with Christ, our bodies are meant for the Lord and not for sexual immorality. So verse after verse here, as I've showed, gives us a link between Christ and the Spirit. It's like there's an equal sign between Christ and the Spirit. Just quickly over in chapter 12, verse 3, you'll see the same thing. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's like there's just this equal sign between Jesus and the Spirit. If we're to make sense of Jesus, we need the work of the Spirit. Jesus ascended on high and poured out the Spirit so he could come and dwell in us so that Jesus would be with us always to the end of the age. So you can't say, cursed be the name of Jesus and claim that God is enabling you to do that. And you can't really mean it and say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to that and you love him. 
The the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How is God's love shown to us? God's love was shown to us in Christ. The ministry of the Spirit is to unite us with Christ. That's the core central activity. So central that without the working of the Spirit, people just hear the gospel and say, ho-hum. Or what's the point? I'd rather spend my Sundays playing golf or catching up with family or pursuing a hobby. What's, what's the big deal about Jesus? It's the Spirit that makes everything alive. God's Spirit is in us what yeast is to bread, what breath is to a body. Absolutely and fundamentally essential. About 15 years ago, Robin and I owned a tiny little red Honda car, Honda City Pro. The nearest way I can describe it to you, it's like a boot with just two seats in front of it and a steering wheel. It was manufactured as a two-seater car. Ours was a luxury version and it had two other seats behind. It was a four-seater. A tiny little thing and you'd zip around. Our son Andrew, who happens to be here today, learned to drive in it. And one day I'd been visiting people and, you know, it was zipping along quite well. I pulled up, uh, went and saw someone got out in the car. Do you think this Honda would go? Nothing. I checked everything. Petrol, water, oil, battery. Everything was good. But the thing wouldn't go. So phoned the RACT, he did exactly what I'd done. Check, you know, how's your petrol? Check the battery, did all the testing, yeah, battery's good, although I was nearly flattened it through trying to start the thing so much. Oil was good, water was good. He did something I didn't do. He pulled off the distributor cap. Inside the distributor cap, there's a thing called a rotor arm. Well, there was in mine. Mine had disintegrated. And without this little rotor arm, you can't take the power from the battery and distribute it to the spark plugs in the order of the sequence of the firing of the cylinders. Nothing would happen. I could be there all day and just flatten the battery without this rotor arm. It is absolutely crucial to have a rotor arm, functioning rotor arm, in your distributor. I learned that much that day. That's why these days people have electronic ignition so you don't need these little rotor arms. A $10 item had just the car had to be towed away. Now the spirit is as crucial as that rotor arm to take the power of God and distribute it amongst us so that we function and fire in the ways that God intended. Without that, we just just sit there. We don't function. So is it a precious reality to you that you are united with Christ, that his spirit dwells in you, that Abba spirit by which you cry, Abba, Father? Does it delight your heart? Do you know him? Do you sense his love? The spirit's role is to make that love of Christ a real and living thing to us. So it warms the cockles of our heart. It strengthens us for service. The work of the Spirit is to equip us and encourage us for every good work, but it can only happen if we're in the vine, abiding 
in him, united with Christ. The Spirit's sovereign ownership over our body and our soul. So we can begin to see when, why Paul would have taken this approach to the issue of sexual immorality. We can begin to understand why in the Sermon on the Mount it says anyone who looks at a woman to lust has already committed adultery in his heart because it's the role of the Spirit to help us to behold Christ. We behold him and, and, and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another even by the Lord who is the Spirit. Every other sin will be forgiven someone, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this life or in the next. It's utterly crucial because the Spirit unites us with Christ. And and when we take our eyes and we start to behold things that God has forbidden to us, we are quenching and grieving the Spirit of Jesus in us. That's why Paul takes this line of approach to the Corinthians. Don't you know God's spirit is in you and you are the temple of God. But let's tease that out. Uh, i just make, uh, offer this quote to you. Listen to how one Christian author puts it. He says, without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simple organisation. You've just got to organise things. Authority is domination. I want you to do what I want you to do. Mission is propaganda. Worship is the summoning of spirits. And Christian action is the morality of slaves. I do it because I've been told to do it. And I have to do it. It's the spirit that makes us willing in the day of God's power. So take, for instance, spiritual gifts We know if we're united with Christ, what ways does the Spirit show in us? Well, if we go over to chapter 12, we'll see some evidence of that. It's the Spirit that takes that trunk relationship of union with Christ and starts to branch out into a variety of ways on, on the tree of faith so that we bear fruit for righteousness and we serve Jesus So I've mentioned in verse 3 how no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Look at verses 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's the distributor. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. It's the work of the Spirit who unites you with Christ to give you a place and a role in the body of Christ, to serve him in some way or other, some fashion. So, This chapter 12 talks about the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Today I want to emphasise that most of the Spirit's work is done in hiddenness. 
because this chapter has attracted a lot of attention over the years about the spectacular and the miraculous. Tongues, there's been huge debates over what is prophecy, what is tongues, what, you know, what about miraculous healings, do they happen today, why aren't they happening in the western world, we see it happening overseas in the two-thirds world but not so much in modern western democracies, why is that so, why do, why do people, and there's all debates about it, but I want to focus on the ordinary and hiddenness if you like. Because just just show you one little thing. Verse 10. To another, miraculous powers. Now that tells me that if someone has a gift of miraculous powers and others have other gifts, then there's something about someone who works miraculous powers that is in the category of the miraculous in a way that the other gifts aren't. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. It's not so much miraculous and and supernatural. The Lord guides and grants wisdom and discernment. There may well be physical ways and means of determining these things and some people are better at it than others. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. There's just the power to believe the gospel, the promises of God. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. But he says, all these, whether they're miraculous or not so miraculous, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. You find people clamouring and inquiring about the gift of tongues, but how many clamour for the gift of helps? It's the Holy Spirit who equipped a guy called Bezalel and his mate Aholiab to build the tabernacle in, in Exodus 31 from verse 3 verse 2. I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed a Holiad, son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And I have also given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you, the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, etc. God, by his spirit, gives artistic and creative abilities as well. He is the architect of our work and our capacities for work. God, by his spirit, can help you to serve in a working bee. He can help you to love your neighbour through a doctor block or to play an instrument to his glory or, or to teach a Sunday school class. We've got to learn to trust the Spirit in the ordinariness of life. He wants to come into our everyday life and equip us for every good work, not just the miraculous. 
He can even give you the strength to run around like a mad thing at a Leaf Youth meeting on a Wednesday night. I, I can, you know, I, I, I always go home a bit sore and sorry and I've seen the Luke Jongling go home limping one day because he ran around like a mad thing kicking a soccer ball and fell over. You don't have to be all that gifted really, just willing to be used by God, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the real gift. He equips you. You can trust him to use you to be God's instrument to serve others. So let me ask you, do you have a humble sense of gratitude to God when you discover that you're good at something? It's the Spirit's work. Do you sense God's pleasure as you do a thing? whether a craft or hobby or sport or your work or your studying or your praying or you're serving Jesus in some way or other? Have you sensed a God-given tenacity to persevere against all odds or out of a conscience before God? It's the working of the Spirit. These can all be aspects of what Jesus intended when he said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Try giving thanks to your heavenly Father by the power of the Spirit. Rely upon the Spirit to cultivate in you an attitude of thankfulness in the midst of circumstances that are not good. It is God's will in Christ Jesus that we be thankful always. So if you find a sense of duty or begrudging starting to swallow up your sense of willing sacrifice, pay attention. Something's out of alignment. The flow of the Spirit is being quenched in you and God's inviting you to pay attention. There's another aspect of the Spirit's work. He, he not only gives works he, he, and gifts, he gives words. Words to speak to Christ and to each other. I I won't spend much time on it. I think it's fairly clear. We're told in Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, for the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Notice that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's the work of the Spirit to guide us in prayer. So much so that we're told to pray at all times in the Spirit. We can't really pray without the impulse of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that leads us to Jesus and want to pray. I once witnessed a remarkable thing when an old retired minister who was not regarded by us young blokes, this is back in the 1980s, uh, was, was invited to close a presbytery meeting. And it had been a, not a real super inspiring presbytery meeting. And this fellow was, uh, had been for many years the pastor of a, a major church in the centre of Brisbane. And he'd retired, but he used to come along to the presbytery meetings. Ron Passion. And I will never forget it. He's weak. And he, he was asked to close in prayer. They didn't know how many more presbytery meetings he would come to probably. And he, he leant like this over and had he was seated in a pew, put his arm over the pew in front and when he opened his mouth, I had never heard anything like it. He prayed for the Spirit of God to captivate us, to fill us with joy and encouragement, to equip us for our ministries. 
He prayed that we'd make much of Christ, delight in him. I'm sitting there and thinking, I've judged this man. I've judged the book by its cover. And I'm wrong. Two weeks later, he was dead. We went to his funeral. I was rebuked. The Spirit of God is able to take weak vessels and he's able to take unpromising material. He's able to use people in extraordinary ways. He delights to take us in our weakness and use us. The Spirit doesn't just help us to speak. He helps us to speak to one another, to speak to God and to speak to one another and to serve and to bless one another. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's the work of the Spirit. When we gather here, we should, as we sing, um, desire more of the power of the Spirit to help and assist us. The Spirit helps us to preach. The Spirit helps us to teach. I've lost track of the number of times I've been troubled and burdened and worried about something only to find the Lord has things in hand and he comes through. As a young pastor in Toowoomba in the 1980s, I was asked by the senior pastor to close a very difficult session meeting in prayer. Inwardly, I said, thanks very much. (laughs) I'm the young assistant pastor, my very first appointment. He's in his 50s, he's very experienced, and he asked me to close this terrible meeting in prayer. One of the guys had stormed out of the meeting. There was tension in the air. It was a church of about 500. We had 43 elders, would you believe? But if you got 25 of them to the meeting, you were doing well. So anyway, and the first thing that came out of our mouth when I prayed was our hearts would have failed within us unless we'd believed to have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It was almost like, where did that come from? I had no idea. just came out of me. I went home, those words were ringing in my head. The next morning when I got up, I got out of concordance and I found it. I'd quoted Psalm 27, verse 13, just about word for word from the King James. I've never sat down and memorised it. And I've never forgotten that verse from that day to this. I never sat down to memorise it. And I'm not, I'm not just saying it to big note me, I'm just saying God by his spirit can do things more than we ask or imagine we've just got to trust him we've just got to look to him so finally the spirit's role is not just to enable us in our weakness to talk to christ or enable us in our weakness to talk to one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another but for ministry and mission for speaking the gospel in evangelism, for giving boldness, grant your servants boldness. And the Holy Spirit came and shook the early church and they spoke the word of Christ boldly. So Jesus had promised the disciples, take no thought what you will say in that hour. We've given you what to speak by your heavenly Father. 
And that is precisely what we see happening on the day of Pentecost. The same spirit that came upon the the gathered group that spoke in, in other tongues, giving praise and glory to God, and people were scratching their heads saying, what does this mean, enabled Peter to grasp the meaning of that and explain it to them, and he preached Jesus to them. That's the power of the spirit. So it's the spirit that enables Bible translation. It's the spirit that enables gospel endeavours and evangelism. It's the spirit that raises up missions and missionaries. 3,000 people were converted on the day of Pentecost through the ministry of the spirit. I'll never forget a huge funeral I had at St Andrews here in, in the 1990s. A deceased gentleman was a Tasmanian wool classer. Uh, Bruce Foster, he'd founded Lane Cot um, Clothing, a special blend of wool and cotton top-line rural wear clothing. When I entered the church from prayer time out the back, I could not believe what I saw. I had no idea. I walked in. The mezzanine floor was full of people down the stairwells. The whole foyer was jam-packed. They were out the doors, out the front door, the side door, people standing around. It was the who's who of the wool industry in Australia was there. Instantly, I knew in my heart the message I'd prepared was not the right message. I wasn't afraid to speak it. I was prepared. I just knew it wasn't right. So on the spot, I just just abandoned all plans and I spoke extempore on Psalm 23. And the Spirit undertook. The Spirit enabled. The Spirit is, a, is gracious. He equips us for every good work. So the Holy Spirit is the very life of Christ in God's people and he delights to lift up Christ, to lift up Jesus high, to make much of him. So listen again to Graham Cole's words. Without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simple organisation. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda, worship is the summoning of spirits, and Christian action is the morality of slaves. God the Spirit, we can't do without him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for placing the life of your Son in us, setting us apart as your treasured dwelling place. It's not because of us, Lord, it's because of your Son. Your Spirit unites us with your Son and you take such great delight in your Son that you delight in us who are united with your Son. We thank you that by the power of your Spirit you enable us to speak your words. You bring to our remembrance. You grant boldness. You encourage us to step up and to serve. You'll seed new ideas and ventures. You'll equip the saints for the work of ministry through gifted people in the body of Christ. We thank you for the working of your spirit. Help us, Lord, simply to open our hearts, to open them wide, and to believe, to dare to believe that you are able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us to you be glory in the church 
by Christ Jesus, now and forevermore. 